0: that's where failure comes. That's tough in politics, right? Because if you never fail, then you're probably not taking enough risk, right? And that's just a simple fact, I think, right? And actually, you learn by failing. And that's how you push the boundaries and expand your horizon and do interesting different things. In government and in politics, it's quite hard to fail.
1: Welcome back to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. It's great to say, we are now starting our fourth series. The aim of this podcast is to ask people who are at the forefront of our economy about their jobs and what the future of their industry will look like. Some of the topics and sectors we explore can be complex, but we try to ask the obvious questions of the brightest minds, as that can lead to the most revealing answers. And in this series, we are kicking off with one of the biggest jobs of them all, Chancellor of the Exchequer. We've all seen Rishi Sunak on the TV holding up the red box on budget day, but what actually does it involve? What do the civil servants in the treasury do? And what is the aim behind the government's new economic campus in Darlington? And in a world of so much information, what sources does the chancellor use to keep on top of developments in the modern economy? We recorded this episode in the Locomotion Train Museum in the northeast of England, a dramatic backdrop Near the government's new economic campus in Darlington. We filmed the episode and you can watch it and get the transcript on our website at www.jobsofthefuture.co and you can subscribe to our new YouTube channel at Jimmy's Jobs and you can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy M. But before diving in I wanted to thank our headline partners the Octopus Group. The Octopus Group is a collection of eight entrepreneurially minded businesses across financial services and energy, all founded on the one simple belief, that people and the planet deserve better. They are intent on building a better tomorrow for future generations and are a certified B Corp, demonstrating they care as much about the impact of their investments as the returns they generate. I'm proud that Octopus have backed this show since the second series and they are the reason why we are now able to put such a professional show together. To hear more about what they do, it is worth checking out previous episodes with the founders Chris Hewlett, Simon Rogerson, or one of their venture partners on the future of health tech, Puja Seeker. On to today's show. Rishi, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Thanks for having me. So the last time that we spent this much time together... I came to see you in autumn 2019 to ask for your (laughs) (laughs) advice on going to Stanford University to do their exec ed course on the Ignite program. And you were very affirmative saying that I should go. And I just wondered what your, how Stanford formed your worldview.
0: Yeah, well, I'm saying I'm glad you went because you had a fantastic time. I had a fantastic time. And you're right. It was actually just totally transformational for me moving to California living studying and then working in silicon valley and elsewhere because you can't help but have that culture there totally infuse you mm. and it's it's everywhere you go and it's a it's a mindset where everyone is they're working really hard they're dreaming big things and yeah. everyone is wanting to change the world one way or another uh, they think in that scale and that's quite inspiring. And and of course, people accept that failure is a part of that journey. That's another ingredient of it. Uh, and the other thing is that they want to move fast, right? And they want to move fast and they want to try new things. So, all of that and many other things are kind of part of what makes the place magical and special. And, you know, I said, I've tried to bring some of that thinking into the rest of my career afterwards, um, which, I, you know, hopefully is a good thing. Actually, we try and do it at the Treasury as well. Mm. But uh, is that the mindset that, celebrates people and their potential and as I said dreams big things and when that works it's, it's it's really quite special
1: yeah it's kind of if you're going to take a swing take a really big take experience. a big swing, swing right yeah. Yeah. yeah and just explain to us what the job of the Chancellor of the Exchequer is right well there's two there's kind of two two formal parts to it
0: uh, and, and that is there's a fiscal side and an economic side traditionally is how people would would think about it you know the fiscal side is making sure well i'm ultimately responsible for not making sure responsible for the levels of taxation and spending and therefore borrowing in the economy right so that 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 is a big part of my job is getting the balance between all those things right and that's what budgets and spending reviews are are largely about Uh, and then the other part of the job is thinking about the economy in general how do we drive economic growth how do we drive up living standards thinking about the UK's macro economy um, and that that, so that's the kind of two halves of the job
1: how does the Treasury divide? Because it's a common question I get asked. It's like, what was it like working at number 10? How did you end up with a job like that? A question I sometimes ask myself at the same <laughs> time. It's, it's actually one of the points I make to people. is like, look, if you want to go and see how government policy works and how the country runs, like, you're far better off going to the Treasury because there's more jobs there, frankly. You know, Number 10 yeah, is quite a small, small. Th- yeah. small thing. And actually, you know, going to the Treasury is a much better way. Can you talk us through? Yeah, we're here in the northeast as well. Like you're building the campus here, and what kind of jobs you're looking for? Yeah,
0: so uh, the treasury, you're you're right, is an amazing institution, and I feel actually very privileged to be a part of that team for as long as I'm fortunate to have this job. And you're right in the sense that it sits at the heart of government in the way that people think number 10 does, but it's a much bigger department. And it's involved in almost everything that goes on rightly across government, because most things have an implication for spending uh, or impact the economy. And it's full of incredibly smart, very hardworking, very dedicated people. So it's been, a, you know, it's been an absolute treat and a privilege to, to work with them. And we're lucky to have them in in public service now, in terms of what we're doing in the Northeast, I announced that we'd set up this campus in Darlington actually funny enough uh you know that's uh, that's where I was mm-hmm. today working there this morning, which was great and you know what was the reason for that? Well, part of the reason for that was to improve our economic policy making and actually thinking if we had a campus with a group of people drawn. Uh, from a different catchment area they might think about the world differently and they probably will and that's a good thing because we're trying to design economic policy that benefits the whole of the united kingdom and if everyone kind of lives and works in exactly the same place they're probably less well able to do that Mm. so hopefully it will improve the diversity of thought in our policy making it broadens our talent pool because there's a lots of amazing people and i see this as a northern mp northern chancellor not a million miles from where we're sitting that for whatever reason they don't they don't want to move to london and they shouldn't have to quite frankly and that's what levelling mm. up is about it's about spreading opportunity wherever you live in the uk and i've got i was just actually funny enough i was getting my lunch in darlington cover market today meeting someone who is at the sixth form college studying economics mm. you know is about to go off to Durham to study economics and has absolutely no interest in moving to London and his family are all here. But and he was over the moon that he's going to be able to apply for a job at the Treasury in yeah. Darlington when he's done, right? And that's someone we probably would have missed out on if we didn't have that campus. So uh, you know that's why we're doing it. So we're going to have about by the end of the Parliament hopefully 750 roles, not just at the Treasury actually. And that's why it's a campus. So it's all the economic departments, business department, trade department, etc. The Treasury's going to do about half of that, and what we're already seeing is that it's catalyzing private businesses in the area to want to think about moving closer yeah, really. to where this action is happening. And that's great.
1: And on that, you talked about the entrepreneurial culture and the culture of failure as well that's encouraged at Stanford. How do you encourage that in the treasury? Because it's it's difficult, right, for government departments to do that. Yeah. And there's this you know huge team that you've just talked about. How can you go about I, doing it? You
0: know, it's really excellent, right? So we, I talk about saying I want to have startup treasury mindset and what does that mean? It means moving probably faster than people are used to moving at in government, and that's kind of something that we've brought to the table. It means thinking a little bit creatively and out of the box and working with people from industry. I think earlier on, it means being very consumer centric and having the ultimate customer in mind or person that we're we're trying to target as part of the process of policy design and it means a willingness to iterate and as Mm. you say that that's where failure comes that's tough in politics right because if you never fail then you're probably not taking enough risk right and that's just a simple you know kind of simple fact i think right and Actually, you learn by failing, and that's how you push the boundaries and expand your horizon and do interesting different things in government and in politics. It's quite hard to fail right yeah. because when you do it's all over the newspapers or there's this committee and everyone's having a go at you for for failing right and it actually is it's politically damaging it's it's so it is hard, but we've persevered with it, and I think maybe we were fortunate because there was a crisis that gives you a little bit more latitude. To move fast because you have to to try different things yeah. people are probably a bit more willing to, uh, to accept that that's necessary in a crisis so whether it's say setting up the future fund mm. for example which we'd never done anything like that in government we did it in record time we worked with industry to do it touch with it you know it seems to have done what it needs to do and we'll how enough naf- we'll now have to see how that portfolio evolves but we will learn. One way or another, we will learn from that whole process and experience, you know, whether there is a model there that is worthwhile for the future UK economy or not.
1: And and how can we get more capital into people's hands, into UK citizens' hands? I think one of the challenges in the UK is you know, a lot of capital is tied up in people's personal capital is tied up in housing. Yeah, And actually, how can we have that kind of economy where more people are investing and investing directly into companies so that they can yeah. have that kind of association? How can we unlock more of that? So
0: I think, you know, what's interesting is you've got auto-enrolment that Mm -hmm. the previous government put in place, which is working well to drive up savings. And so because of that, you know, people ought to have a bit more interest in this because their money is going into yeah. I, I, into these various funds and then you've got fintech on the other side so you've got all these amazing companies that are doing exactly what you said you know not to name any of them because they're not getting trouble but you know people will know who they are that so from your phone it's easy to look at your portfolio make selections on things you want to do maybe you have a particular interest in ESG investing or net zero or whatever it might be emerging markets make all of that easy make it personalized and that is really taking off because the technology is making it easy the other thing that's happening is something called open banking Mm. where bit by bit we are uh, we are making people's information available to the market in a way that they want and they can control and then companies can look at that and say ah oh, well we've got something that we can offer you that that is Im- improving the delivery of financial services so all these things are happening and i think to your point this we're on a trend where people will take more in interest they want to be directly involved in, in where their savings are going they have a view and and because of the technology it's now really easy
1: yeah and a bit more of a kind of like activist mentality of yeah. people being aware. aware
0: of what you know of what you know what their money is going to which is a good thing that's healthy for a free market economy
1: totally and, and also if you're investing in lisa with a bank and so on it can end up in jp morgan asia fund three and right. you sort of just don't like you, yeah. you've got no connection to that yeah. it doesn't mean anything to you and I, I do think one of the things we could see is more kind of investing back home Will make a big difference exactly
0: well. people will want to back whether it's companies in their area or companies that do a particular type of thing that they're interested in that they believe in um, so all of that is great
1: as you heard rishi sunak is optimistic about how various fintech firms can democratize access to capital one of the most interesting companies out there doing this i think is primary bid they work with companies at ipo and beyond to boost retail investor engagement drive trading liquidity, and enhance governance. Primavid's platform does this by helping companies include individual investors in transactions normally reserved for larger institutions, and therefore democratising access to capital, just as we have discussed in this episode. As a partner of the London Stock Exchange last year, it worked with over 150 companies, including Deliveroo, Pension B, and Halfords. Public companies can now include the public, when raising capital. To learn more, visit www.primarybid.com/issuers. And a reminder of course that your capital is at risk. The product roadmap for government is a lot longer than it is for startups and entrepreneurs, and it takes a huge amount of time to know whether policies have been a success and so on. You said, and you were quite creative when you first came into the role because you had to be, and there weren't many other options. Which policies are you think working best that could be potentially extended?
0: It's probably a bit early to tell, actually, funnily mm. enough, on the crisis. To your point, you kind of need to really wait to see. One thing we are doing a better job of is actually evaluating them. So government yes. does a very bad job of evaluating what's working and what's not. and then being willing to stop things that are not working that's also quite hard we yes. talked about failure that's actually quite a hard thing to do to stand up and say you know what this, this thing just doesn't work actually it sounds great and everyone seems to like it but like you know what we've been looking at it and it doesn't really drive the change that we think given how much money we're spending on it and we should just stop doing it yeah. that's quite a hard thing you don't hear us say that very often so we need to evaluate more things which we're doing use data better and now we're when i were putting new policies in place anywhere i kind of insist that departments or the treasury if it's our policy that we do randomized control trials rcts Mm. or a b testing where we can to constantly be learning about what we're doing whether it's working or not so i've instituted that since i started but it will take some years for all those things to bear fruit
1: and do you think that's one of the the most crucial things that's changing about government is that data that can be collated and that you can pull into, like you say, A and B testing, I imagine is not a phrase that has been particularly no. used in the Treasury. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: but it's right. I mean, we do so much, especially during the crisis. You know, we, we had so much we needed to communicate to people to try and get them to do different things or let them know what was going on. And we talked to the behavioural nudge unit that was set Mm -hmm. up by predecessors that was helpful Um, but we need to be doing that all the time right companies do that to optimize their messaging like what we do is more important for the most part so we should be doing the same thing um so i you know hopefully hopefully that culture will change over time my actually my previous chief secretary of treasury steve Mm barkley who's now the chancellor of the duchy of lancaster is is rightly obsessed with this and it's great in his old job he was obsessed with it he's obsessed with it now and is driving that agenda forward helpfully with us um, across government uh and it will be a really good thing because we can do so much with the data if we if we bother to focus on it analyze it
1: and where are the opportunities long term for the uk economy in terms of the sectors that are that are growing you know if you follow various silicon valley blogs and so on there's a lot of talk at the moment about kind of crypto nfts yeah. blockchain web 3 and so on which you know is how that world kind of views things and it's out there but where do you think in those data that you're kind of collecting in that where are the opportunities for the uk economy for jobs of the future
0: i think like, the digital economy in its broadest sense, is a huge opportunity for us. We have one of the most vibrant tech ecosystems anywhere in the world. Outside of the US and China, this is the third biggest market for venture capital. We have more tech unicorns in France and Germany combined. And then if you look at the quality of our basic research, it's very, very high, whether it's Nobel laureates, research citations, publications, et cetera. Uh, And our regulatory model, whether it's for FinTech or life sciences, is quite flexible and pro-innovation and we have a population actually that embraces digital technology at a far greater level than Mm -hmm. even the us does if you look at e-commerce stats for example and certainly more than most european countries so you put all of that together and we have i think a very supportive tax environment as well so you put all of that together that should make us feel really positive about digital economy whether it's AI, whether it's quantum, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's fintech. So that's a big strength for us. I think financial services is another industry where we're clearly world-class. And when you combine the technology and flexible regulation with a world-leading financial services center that is also leading in green finance, that's probably mm-hmm. another industry that I would, I would call out. And then the creative industries, actually, outside of the West Coast of, of the US or, or New York, like, this is probably one of the most exciting places for creative industries anywhere in the world. I think the British Film Institute recently said we had, I think, more production volume here in the last six months than we've had in years. There was an amazing multi-hundred million pound announcement of a new investment studio, Sunset Studios, uh, just outside London. And the Pinewood Shepparton investment will make that one of the largest TV and film studios anywhere in the world. Huge amount of talent in that industry. Uh, and so, again, it's something that we're really, really brilliant at. And I can see that growing a lot in the future.
1: When it comes to the creatives, we are seeing a creator economy that's Mm. emerging, which I think is one of the most interesting aspects to everything that the economy is seeing. Where can the UK take advantage of that? So
0: one thing we need to have is just high quality people, right? Mm. Because all those industries are very people reliant. So that's a combination of making sure that we're training enough people whether that's all the people that are technically involved in the production of tv and film content right down that supply chain the post-production roles that are vital and then in um, digital again it, you know, we actually recently i made an announcement about doubling the number of ai scholarships that yeah. we're doing to bring people in into that um, so we need to have talent domestically but then we also have to have a, a visa regime that is supportive of bringing the best and the brightest to this country. And if you look at fast-growing companies in the UK, you know the, the majority have a foreign-born founder, yeah. for instance. The majority of STEM staff at universities were not born here. I think about a third of our STEM Nobel laureates were not born here either. So we need to make sure that our visa regime is getting all those people here. Uh, those are exactly the type of people we want here. Brexit was not about saying no to everybody it was about us just making decisions about it and one of the decisions that we're making is for the best and the brightest most talented people around the world we want them to be able to come here yeah and uh, we are radically improving our high school visa regime to achieve exactly that
1: and where are the regulatory opportunities of of brexit um you know you voted for it and where do you see again like a seriously long product roadmap that brexit will be but where are the opportunities in in that innovation that we could see in, in terms of regulation? So I think you're absolutely
0: right that we should view regulatory approaches or regulation as a competitive advantage of the mm. UK. We have a great track record in stable principles-based regulation, uh, which is supportive broadly of innovation. So that is a good thing. And you've seen instances of that. I'd probably pick, let's pick three in life sciences and the MHRA as it demonstrated through the pandemic mm. is able to move at quite a you know, rapid pace compared to other regulators around the world. So that agility and speed is, is obviously valuable. Uh, that's great for life sciences. Uh, in data, we've already launched consultations on reforms to data regulation after leaving the EU to provide yeah. a bit more proportionality into that regime and a bit more pro-innovation. Uh, and then lastly, financial services, where the FCA actually is is known around the world for being a pioneer in creating a regulatory sandbox, as it's called, yeah. to allow fintech companies to experiment with different types of products and services in a controlled environment so we can see what happens. Um, and then they can scale and now we're involving that sandbox into a scale box. Uh, you know, that's an example. And that, I, I'd say, is you know, hard-pressed to find leading financial centers around the world that do, do as good a job at us at uh, that.
1: And on that cultural side, you've talked about it being one of the hardest things, but, you yeah, know, we've got like you say, more unicorns than anyone else in the EU, just gone past a hundred. Yeah, you know, we've had more startups than ever before being founded, partly because of the pandemic. How can we get, improve that cultural middle bit, the kind of missile stand in Germany? And, and how can we encourage the sort of ambition and people to scale up?
0: Yeah, I, you're right to frame the question in terms of culture. Because a lot of people frame the question in terms of some kind of regulatory barrier or mm. access to capital or something like that, and I, those things are, of course, they're important, and companies need to have access to the capital that they need to grow at that stage. And we're working on all of that. So there's lots of interventions that will, will help with that. Uh, but I think the biggest barrier is the one is the one you you mentioned is that I I constantly meet businesses where you know they get to a point and for whatever reason, they don't either feel ready or they're not quite wanting to, to keep growing. And they're quite happy and they've created an amazing business and yeah. they should be really proud. But what we need is for those really good businesses to want to keep growing, because that's actually how you drive growth and prosperity and more jobs in an economy. And a lot of it is cultural. And mm. we talk, go back to when we talk about Silicon Valley, because people start with really big dreams, they don't want to sell their business for quarter of a billion or half a billion because they want to have a billion dollar business at least right if not even bigger um so and there's an ecosystem that is supportive of that whether it's the expertise at a management level a board level the capital so there's lots of ingredients but fundamentally people just i think you know they really want to go for the big prize you said it. if you're going to swing swing big yeah um, and I I don't I have a great answer for you on how we changed that and you know we've talked about this in the past mm. about the importance of role models and trying to have people who have done that be more visible in our communities in our conversation yeah. as as role models for people to look up to and they can help hopefully inspire people to to go on the same path.
1: Do you think it's on businesses to get out there a bit more themselves and kind of explain their stories as well because you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that are still cited are kind of, you know, Lord Sugar and Richard Branson. And actually, yeah, there's been a new wave of, yeah. of people that have that have come through and perhaps they haven't gone out there quite enough and sort of bang the drum.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a, I think you make a really good point, right? It goes back to what we we're just talking about. You know, how do we show people that there are these role models out there who have who are not what we think of as traditional business people? Mm. And... You know, I try and do that in my job. The trying people I engage with, the people I do events with. They're not always the most obvious companies. I try and go to these types of people. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe you're right, actually, because the default is, you know, you go to a large FTSE 100 company CEO or chairman to do this job or talk about this thing. And actually, we should be talking much more to, you know, our 100 unicorn yeah. CEOs and actually everyone should know who they are. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the, the task that ahead of us now.
1: As you've heard in this interview the chancellor is very bullish on the opportunities of fintech and the uk is undoubtedly a world leader that's why i'm really pleased that the fintech alliance is supporting this episode of jimmy's jobs of the future the fintech alliance is where ambitious people investors and industry leaders learn and share together to succeed in the world's fastest emerging global ecosystem you can check out how they help people to discover connect and prosper in the FinTech community at www.fintech-alliance.com. There's a whole wealth of information on there about this amazing sector. When it comes to, I was curious there in terms of all the sectors that you named that we are doing incredibly well in. When you graduated in 2000 or so, that was when lots of people went towards the city. That was kind of the default place for lots of ambitious people. If Rishi Sunak was 22, in 2022 <laughs> where do you think he would be looking to start his career gosh
0: um why i, I mean i would probably i i probably for me creative industries like yeah. right? that's i mean i you know i think i, I mean I, I think the industry is fantastic something we're good at I, I think it'd be a very enjoyable thing to do so I'd probably I'd be excited about that I'd also probably be excited about anything in the in the digital space yeah. Right. and I think in particular if you look at what are the areas that are going to be transformational for us going forward you mentioned a couple of them right so you know it's going to be AI mm-hmm. it's going to be figuring out you know crypto and distributed ledger technology and blockchain and how that has the potential to change lots of other things we do yes um, and if you certainly if you if you Talk to people in Silicon Valley, and you know, right? They're they're raising dedicated funds just to invest in that space because they believe in the transformational power of it. Like those are probably some of the sub industries where actually it, whether it's you know web3 and other things there's just yeah. lots of exciting stuff going on
1: and how do you keep abreast of all of this the kind of innovation that's happening in the valley and so on i think one of the challenges for young people is that there's a massive information out there now which is great in in one yeah. way but also incredibly overwhelming and so on and i'd be curious as to what sources of information that you read um to keep abreast of all of this.
0: oh wow right so i um well obviously i have to in my job like just have a glance at all the traditional sources of media. And I have uh, a couple of brilliant advisors who also let me know what's going on because I try not to read all of it myself, uh, depressing as it is some days. Uh, but for the, I think uh, maybe the more, helpful, the, the kind of slightly non traditional mm. things I read, you know, what do I read? So I read uh, well, in terms of magazines, there's those all the regular ones. And the probably non traditional ones I read are things like MIT Technology Review, yep. uh, which is fantastic. I read the Stanford uh, Magazine, as you would expect, Stanford Graduate School of Business Magazine, just what's going on in management and thinking. Uh, I read GQ a lot, actually, which which has a lot of interesting content, I find. And then on the blog side, I read a lot of those. So, I mean, I love economics, so I read tons of economics blogs, but Tyler Cohen's Marginal Revolution Mm -hmm. is probably one of my... Uh, one of my favorites, Greg Mankiw, is another one of my um, is another one of my favorites on the economic side. Bill Gates actually has a fantastic blog, Gates Notes, which yes. I find really interesting. He's a very thoughtful individual, obviously. Uh, and then on the tech side, Andreessen Horowitz, yeah, the the venture capital firm, just has a. I mean, there's so much content coming out of that, uh, firm, which is, a. I'd say to spend any time spent on their website or on their podcast is time well spent. I'd say for people who are interested in understanding what's going on in innovation and tech. Um, but also uh, the AVC blog from Fred, who's a yep. New York based bench capitalist is, is also very good. And then there's a UK person who used to work at Andreessen who's moved back here called Benedict Evans, who has a great newsletter, um, which I, which I absolutely love. And then from my old life, I'm giving you a long list now. So, <laughs> from my older, so I used to do investing for a living. Yeah. And most of work in finance, so I I still read a few of those newsletters and things. There's a you mentioned J.P. Morgan earlier, so they have a strategist called Michael Semblalist who does a weekly global strategy piece, which is called Eye on the Market, which is fascinating. He's a great thinker really interesting insight to what's going on there's a british research company called 13d what i learned this week that's also very uh that's very interesting um and uh yeah that's so that, you know, there's a bunch of finance stuff for you as well so yeah, yeah well
1: that's bit- plenty of new year's reading there for for people yeah. to get, get, their, <laughs> get their teeth into um, one of the yeah, when have you got any new year's resolutions and and part of this as well yeah. is also i wanted to ask about kind of mental health like you've done some very intense jobs at points yeah. and so on and it must be enormously demanding how do you just keep that kind of in check
0: yeah i mean they probably the questions kind of go together actually i mean i i have it has been tough um so one of my resolutions is try and sleep more that would be that would be good uh, and see my kids more because they are probably together with my wife right that is the best way to kind of keep oneself sane, is uh, spending time with family, I find. Uh, and now we have this new puppy, Nova, who's six months old, who is also, I found, a wonderful distraction because she obviously doesn't care about my day when I come home <laughs> and uh, and is is largely just there, happy to be played with and very affectionate. And that has actually been really good. And I was very against having a dog, actually, so I was very <laughs> resistant. But I must say that it has probably been positive for my, for my mental health, if not my sleep and everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah no, it gives a, a routine and yeah. so on. And off the back of that, how has the job changed you as a person? I mean, you've almost done the role for two years now. Well, uh, I've definitely got uh, far
0: more grey hairs than I did when I started this job. That is kind of obvious, I think, to anyone watching. You know, I think there was something that I always knew was important in my previous life before politics, and that was the importance of teamwork. But that has really been brought home to me just how vital that is and i couldn't do the job that i do now without the support of an amazing team around me and it's a team where everyone loves working with each other there's an enormous amount of trust and people working hard towards a common goal and that culture that i try and foster and i think we're really fortunate to have in my team is one which is really supportive And as I said, I knew this, I always knew this was important, but it now has really come home to me just how vital it is. You know, the only other thing that occurs to me is I hadn't appreciated in this job just how much you have to learn to compartmentalize. You know, what do I mean by that? I guess on a typical day, I might have eight different things that I'm doing and and they're all very different and they require me to be completely present for each of those and at the same time holding many other things in my head and trying to not let that distract me so i might have a group of primary school children who are visiting me from my constituency uh, i might be you know on a zoom call with some business leaders uh, have a meeting with the prime minister about a difficult policy issue that we're wrestling with i might be talking to a you know an international leader or finance minister uh, about something, or I'll have to give a statement in Parliament or answer questions on something, and uh, or I've got a broadcast interview uh, or a visit um, and a walkabout on a high street. All of that could be happening on the same day, and all the while there'll be five other things going on in my head as well. And just being able to to separate those things out and you know, be who I need to be and do the job I need to do in each of those different things just requires you to compartmentalize and it you know it's been something i've had to learn how to do it's not easy and um i didn't quite appreciate just how you know how much it would it would uh it would be necessary in order to do this job well
1: finally before we have a quick fire round i started by recounting that i took your advice on stanford this week we found out that we're going to be having our second daughter and so therefore as the father of two daughters i wondered whether you would got any advice on that
0: oh wow okay you're, uh, yours are quite close together, right? Yeah, yeah. So you have two. Well, so the first two thing,
1: under two under three.
0: Oh my gosh! Right. So the the first thing is be really nice to your parents because you're gonna need <laughs> need their help both of you. That's what I'd say. Um, I look. I think it's totally magical having these two girls. I was rooting for a second girl after we had our, our first, and having two sisters in the house is is really special i the the one thing we try and do is just do a lot of strong role models for them right as as girls and there's this great book that we read to them incessantly called "Good Night stories for rebel girls and they love it and it's just got lots of kick-ass women in it and all these stories about them and they and they really love that and and we also try and do lots of STEM stuff with them, yes. um, and uh, and there's lots of better there's lots of research that shows how girls and and boys learn in slightly different ways, mm. and actually girls for STEM subjects they learn slightly better through storytelling. Um, so you know you try and do the storytelling to do things that typically they they might not be exposed to. So we we try and kind of index on on that side of things just to make sure that they. They get a full range of yeah. you know of influences on them so that yeah but i'd say first thing be nice to your parents you're gonna need you're gonna need their help and, <laughs> yeah
1: so. that is uh that is good advice and it's it's interesting the role model thing is so true pip jameson in our second ever episode said she really struggled to find female entrepreneurial mentors yeah and so she ended up targeting fathers who'd got daughters and i always thought that's always kind of stuck with me a little yeah bit. that
0: is just probably right i mean i i was funny i was talking just Recently at an event in Parliament about women in entrepreneurship, uh, there's an all-party parliamentary group, and I was speaking at, they'd just written a new report, and we do a, you know, we definitely have got all this untapped potential of female entrepreneurs in the UK, which if we could close would be worth hundreds of billions of pounds to our economy, which is yeah, great, yeah, but yeah. also would be, you know, be marvellous for all these people. Um, and, and we were talking a lot about that at this yeah. um, event as well, actually. Makes a big difference. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: We'll just do the quick fires and then... Great. Um, okay. So, first paid job.
0: Working for my mum in her chemist, she was a pharmacist and she bought her own business. So she was a small business person and she trained me to work for her as a dispensing assistant in the, in the back of the pharmacy, but also in the shop. And so I did all of that and I went out delivering medicines and whatnot for people and I did her accounts and oh, her right. bookkeeping. So that was my first proper fully paid job. Yeah.
1: James Ward-Prowse or Matthew Letizio?
0: Oh gosh! Uh, so like, my childhood hero is Matthew Um uh, but my mum, funnily <laughs> enough, who now has my season ticket at St Mary's, um, is is a huge James Ward Prowse fan. She thinks he's incredibly sweet, and she was very proud she met him at some. I've got a picture somewhere on my phone. Oh. So she met him at something a little while ago and was sent me this picture of uh, him and her, which she was over the moon about because she thinks he's a total sweetheart. So yeah,
1: Bitcoin or Ethereum?
0: Oh God! I, I do basket of cryptocurrency
1: that's a safe answer yeah um board apes or crypto punks board apes squid game or succession succession mario world or mario kart mario kart red or best br- game ever
0: actually <laughs> on the snes if my brother was here, that and street fighter was how we spent most of our childhood on those two games on our snes red or brown sauce definitely red do you keep it in the fridge yes favorite biscuit maryland chocolate chip cookie plenty if you get any of my offices whether it's downing street treasury or at home there's big pack of maryland chocolate chip cookies everywhere north allerton
1: office in north yorkshire same dream job if not this one astronaut deep sea diver
0: um well if you're talking real dream then Mm. i'd probably say jedi knight or x-wing pilot but if you're kind of bring me back down to real world then probably something (laughs) in the movie industry as we talked about before so that's always been i I took this amazing Mm. class at stanford yeah about the movie industry and it was great it was one of my favorite classes i learned a ton and i thought gosh that would be a fun thing to do to try and go and produce tv or movie content
1: we are videoing this for the first time today so it's the closest i've ever come (laughs) um i think ever will as well frankly um best lockdown treat for under 60 pounds lockdown treat yeah that you sort of ordered oh, and wow. sort of ended up I mean you were quite busy I mean I was yeah I that. missed out
0: on this big experience <laughs> in one sense um gosh I have no idea a lockdown treat for under 60 quid I mean I, yeah I know the peloton definitely cost a lot more than that um
1: what about what about double
0: double yeah we had I mean we we, we blitzed double in our house double and uno <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, they're, they're great. Yes, I mean, we, we are, we've done a lot of Dobble. Actually, yes, we did a lot of double, actually. Um, my elder daughter, Krishna, just absolutely, she just rinses me in that game every single time. And it's very depressing. Um, so we have, yeah, Double and Uno are our preferred card, And we did, actually, to be fair, we did do a lot of both of those in lockdown, yeah.
1: Well, it's good to know the Chancellor has some weaknesses. Thank you so much for coming on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. It's been a real pleasure to have you on.
0: It's been fantastic. Thanks, Jimmy.
1: There are many great things that stuck with me from that interview, but perhaps one of the not-so-obvious points was what he said on teams. Building a great team is not a skill that gets associated with politicians. Perhaps apart from the Prime Minister when it comes to cabinet reshuffles or the speculation that constantly surrounds the number 10 operation. Less is written about the Chancellor when it comes to that, but he has quietly built an impressive team that blends plenty of Westminster experience, but also with modern communication and branding techniques. Sometimes these things don't always work, but as he said, you have to be prepared to fail in order to succeed. The truth is any successful person is going to need to build a team around them and foster that as they move forward. Building teams, hiring and retaining talent is one of the biggest workplace challenges at the moment particularly with the Great Resignation and January being the most popular time that people look for a new job. I have recently spoken at Microsoft and the National Farmers Union on similar topics. If you'd like me to come into your organisation or company and talk through what I've learned about those key issues from this podcast and my time in number 10, please do drop us a line at hello at jobsofthefuture.co and the excellent Jimmy's Jobs team will come back to you. If you really enjoyed the episode, erasing it on either iTunes or Spotify makes a massive difference. And you can check out more of the backstory to the show at www.jobsofthefuture.com. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Insta and LinkedIn at Jimmy's Jobs.